Hello, folks, and welcome back. This is the On Being Christian podcast, episode number 35. I'm Nolan Ruby. I'm your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is the church that supports this On Being Christian podcast ministry. I'm so glad you chose to listen today. Hope your summer's going very well. Mine's going very quickly and at the same time, not quite quick enough. You know how those things go. But without further ado, we are in the middle of Matthew chapter 5 right now. We have covered six aspects of what are commonly known or commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. These are the characteristics found within Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. Let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll get into the seventh aspect of what is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, and we'll see what the Bible says. Starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So we started this study, folks, a while back. This is probably Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. This is all uh, one aspect of a sermon uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount that Christ was preaching to his disciples. He started that entire thing off by looking at these attributes called the Beatitudes commonly referred to in Matthew chapter 5 in the first 12 verses. So far, we've covered the first six of these, the poor in spirit, the they that mourn, the meek, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, uh, the merciful and the pure in heart. And last time we were together, we looked at the merciful and the pure in heart uh, in one go because I, I felt very much that those things were kind of connected and needed to be looked at in that manner. Going forward, we have one of these characteristics that I don't know if you can define it as my favorite, but it certainly is one that I was looking forward to getting into, and that's simply what the Bible refers to in verse 9 as the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I'd like to talk to you today about a peacemaker, the peacemakers. Who are they? What do they do? What is this? What is this? Why is this characteristic one of the ones that the Lord begins his Sermon on the Mount with? Just by way of introduction, let's get some definitions on the table. Peacemaker out of the Strong's Greek lexicon identification number 1515, simply a word that means uh, pacifying or uh, it's a it's a prosperity word. It means quietness and rest. 
it's to set at one again. In other words, where there was two things that became divisive or separating over some kind of cause, it means to set at one again, to restore fellowship, to restore friendship, to restore peace. That is the pacifying aspect of this word. Peacemaker, one who restores again that which has been lost, brings peace to where there's conflict. Okay, The only time this word is found in the Bible, it gives the idea of a man or a Christian who understands the value of peace and goes after it, but not at the cost of a just cause. A righteous peace is the result of a correctly fought battle. In this sin-cursed world, only the dead have seen the end of war. That's only in this world, however. Peacemakers. I want to talk to you today about the value of those people who can restore peace to a situation. The Bible says in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those people who can restore fellowship, those people who can bring peace to a situation where there is conflict, it's not always as you would define it to be. It doesn't always look like you would anticipate it looking, a peacemaker. But nonetheless, the word peacemaker is in reference to a man or a woman who understands the value of peace and is trained and willing to go through whatever they need to in order to ensure or secure that end result of peace. They're a peacemaker. This is an interesting, this term throughout human history has been applied to different things, but as we look at it from the perspective of the Bible, we're talking about someone who understands and has the capacity within themselves, usually someone who understands how dangerous an ego is, that to bring peace to a situation, it starts with the willingness to take a wrong, to swallow your pride, to check your ego at the door, the prize is the peace at the end of the conflict. Okay. Now we're going to look at some Bible verses on this, but I believe this term is one of those things that has been watered down. A lot of times I've been told for the sake of peace, we can compromise, and compromising usually means giving up some aspect of truth so as not to be offensive to other people. That's not what a peacemaker is. That's a compromiser. When you are entrusted by God with the Word of God, as we have been if we've accepted Christ and claimed the title Christian, that a peacemaker is not someone who compromises the truth for the sake of peace, but someone who tells the truth and stands on the truth for a long enough period of time through the fight, through the battle, to where peace is the result. Peace is the end goal. Okay? I get just tired of people saying things like, for the sake of peace, you need to be less, and they have something that you need to change about your, your, uh, the truth. Be less confrontational. Let the Bible, don't, don't use so much Bible. Don't this, don't that. They add all these things. Folks, peacemakers are ones who, because of their conviction of the holy writings of God, the Bible, proclaim and stand on nothing more and nothing less than the doctrine of the Word of God, because they understand that that is the only way to true peace. Quote-unquote, peace provided at the cost of truth is not peace. It's a compromise 
that brings very limited, uh, uh, like an acquittal for a period of time, but that time never lasts. In fact, when that is over, when that time of compromise reaches its end, the inevitable result is that not only will you go back to the level of conflict that you had, but you'll surpass it and it becomes more confrontational and more evil. And so let's look at what the Bible says concerning this idea of peace. If we jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and last time I was trying to use my computer to go a little faster through these scripture verses, but I think a guy like me who's been doing what I've been doing as long as I've been doing it, um, I'm actually just quicker with the Bible instead of the computer. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, the Bible says here, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the first thing that I want you to understand about being a peacemaker is it's something that you follow. It's something that you pursue. Chapter 2, verse 22 says you have to flee youthful lust. In other words, those things that are causing—let me put it this way. When I go into a situation where there's conflict or or confrontational atmosphere, and I bring my own agenda, I bring my own desires— I'm not going to bring peace to that situation. I'm just bringing a, a further aspect of, um, of, of, of desires, of an agenda, of, of priorities. And that's not what peace is built on. And so it starts off by saying, flee also youthful lust. In other words, if you're going to bring peace, it's going to be because you've grown past the desire that this is going to personally benefit you. Flee also youthful lust, follow righteousness, and then it goes on to say faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Those are the four things that we're talking about concerning the attributes of someone who brings peace to the table. And those four things, as the end of this verse, are all done under the context of what the Bible refers to as a pure heart. A pure heart. And so one of the first things that I want you to understand about being a peacemaker is that it requires a pure heart. And ladies and gentlemen, we are not born with a pure heart. The Bible talks about the fact that we, as people born into a fallen world, are our own selves fallen. And in order to have a pure heart, we must first accept our need for a Savior, repent, and ask the Lord to save us, that we might be born again. As it says in Corinthians, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, in reference to someone who's asked the Lord to be their Savior. And so the first thing that we need to wrap our minds around is that to be a peacemaker— someone who brings a, a level of resolution and resolve to conflicted or, or confrontational situations, I have to have a pure heart, because out of that pure heart are going to come things that are not natural to mankind. And it goes on to—it starts off by showing us what those unnatural things are. Righteousness, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And it says all have uh, fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one 
righteous man who's ever walked the earth. His name is Jesus Christ, born outside of the bloodline of man. He sustained his divine uh, perfection, which was his by birth, by living a perfect life. It's through him that I can have a pure heart. Without him, I can't have a pure heart, and that pure heart is what is needed to bring righteousness to situations. He goes on to say faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith. It says there in verse 6, I believe, without faith, it is impossible to please him. He goes on to say the word charity. This is a word for benevolent love, that type of love which is not associated with a feeling or a reaction, but rather a choice that you make out of the depths of your own heart, uh, your own soul, your own being. I'm going to love this person, not because they're lovable, but because I love them. And I can love because God first loved me. And then it uses the word peace. Peace here is found, it's a word, um, well, it mirrors a word that we're going to look at here shortly out of Proverbs, to be safe. It means uh, completed, friendly, it's, it's a reciprocator, to make an end of. And so to follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace, that thing that brings an end to conflict, I must first have a pure heart. And a pure heart is a exclusively a product of our God's grace through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So righteousness, faith, charity, and peace are dependent on a pure heart, and a pure heart is dependent upon being forgiven of my God, or by my God. So without being forgiven, I can't have a pure heart, and without a pure heart, I can't produce righteousness, faith, charity, and peace, and those four things are the things the Bible lays out as the having the ability to bring resolution to conflicted or, or confrontational situations. So who, just by the very first verse that we've looked at, who are the peacemakers? Well, as it says in Matthew chapter 5, those are the children of God, the ones who have accepted Christ as their Savior, the ones who have a relationship with God by God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have an ability by Christ, not by ourselves, but by Christ working in us to bring peace to situations where there is no peace. One of the things that I have heard over and over again in our world is, you know, peace on earth, especially during Christmas. Peace on earth, good tidings, goodwill to men. That's wonderful to say. It's a wonderful concept to imagine, but you understand without the Prince of Peace— Jesus Christ, there can be no peace on this fallen earth. Men, in their natural state, do not produce peace. We produce the opposite. Men in a divine state, and by divine state I mean those who have accepted the divinity of Jesus Christ, accepted his blood on the cross as a payment for their sin, repented of their sin, and put their faith and trust in God, those people can have peace, a divine thing, because it's God working in them, not them working in them. So peacemakers are those who have a relationship with God. If we jump over to Proverbs chapter 16, there's a little more that we can look at concerning this. Proverbs chapter 16. 
and we'll jump down to verse 7, Proverbs 16 and verse 7. I'll read 7 through 8. The Bible says here, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenue without right. Interesting. Even his enemies. When a man's ways please the Lord, his enemies can be at peace with him. So the peace that we're talking about, the type of peace that can be brought to situations where there is no peace, is a direct result of our ways pleasing the Lord. And the only way that we can please the Lord is to do the one thing he told us that must be done. That's to accept his son as our savior. That is how he is pleased. After that, we are a new creature. We think new. The desires of our heart are new. We act new. And in that capacity, as Christians, we can bring peace to situations where there was no peace, but not because of our ability but rather because of the ability of Christ in us. He is the Prince of Peace. There is no other source from which peace comes from. Peacemaker is, is one who brings the matter to a conclusion. Okay, It's interesting, so much of the political atmosphere today has become religious, and so there's really no way to talk about anything without talking about things that are political because Politics is everything. It's life. It's religion. It's family affairs. It's entertainment. It's Politics is everywhere. Okay, So when I use the term peacemaker as the one who brings uh, the matter to a conclusion, let's relate that to politics a little bit. I want you to understand <clears throat> men, uh, adults, Christians, men and women who understand peace, who understand the value uh, of building something that's worth having— they understand that problems need solutions. Without solutions, you're not going to build anything. You can't build and fight at the same time. Okay, In my experience, most of the progressive left-wing agenda is what's called a, um, it's like, it's like a crisis agenda or it's a, a, a grieving agenda, okay? They don't actually stand on anything as much as they stand against everything else. And as soon as you fix one of their problems, the platform with, that they are, that they are uh, making their voice known, it goes away. And why would you, why would you if, you're, if that's the side of the fence that you're on, you don't want problems being fixed because as soon as the problem isn't there, your platform for being there goes away. You don't stand on anything. You just stand on one unsolved issue to the next. You're not actually hoping for there to be any resolution in anything because you're against everything. So when you have the Bible talking about peacemakers, you're talking about adults, men and women who have an understanding of the value of peace to bring things to a conclusion. They're going to bring problems to a place where they are solved, not just rave and scream and throw an adult-sized temper tantrum over things that you don't actually want fixed. You just want to make sure everyone knows how much you hate it. 
This is such a juvenile, such a childish mindset. To know what you hate, but to not want to do anything about it. To know what you don't like, but not to have any standards of what you do like. I don't like you, but I don't actually like anything. I, I don't stand with you. In fact, I'm going to stand against you, but I don't actually stand for anything. I just, the thing I stand for is everything you are not. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I don't like you. I don't actually have anything I like. I just don't like you. And I'm going to stand against you. So as soon as you talk to somebody like that and you're saying, okay, well, what's your solution to the problem? What you're going to find almost 100% of the time is they don't have a solution. They just have opinions. Peacemakers have solutions. Peacemakers bring resolution to where there was open-endedness. They bring a resolve to where there was no uh, fix. That's what peacemakers do. Blessed be the peacemakers, the ones who are pure in heart, the ones who love the Lord. Why? Because they are the children of God. Because it takes a pure heart to put forth the things that bring peace into an environment where there is no peace. Peacemakers. Let's go over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 9 through 11 gives us something to think about. Romans 2, 9 through 11, the Bible says here, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God, for as many as have sinned, without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Interesting. Glory, honor, and peace to every man that doeth what, according to these verses? Worketh good. You see the correlation there? I can't work evil and expect peace to be the result. Peace is a product of good working itself through to a resolution. So if I reject everything that's moral and everything that's good, objective truth, reality, if I reject that, then the inevitable result is a lack of peace. I cannot have peace when I reject morality. One of our founding fathers said, uh, the government of the United States of America is wholly inadequate for anything other than a just and moral people. That's one of the reasons why we're having so much, so many problems today as a country. We're trying to be the land of peace while at the same time totally rejecting everything that's moral and good. We're trying to redefine morality into subjective terms instead of understanding that God is the definer of morality, and it's objectively been recorded in his word. Peacemakers understand that their job, our job as Christians, is to bring a resolution through good works, through morality, to difficult, uh, uh, conflicted situations that did not have peace before. If we are Christians and we are living according to God's dictates and doctrine in our life, then where we go, there should be peace, not conflict. 
You ever met somebody in your life, you ever been around someone who no matter what they were doing, no matter what they were a part of, there was always drama? Always. Always drama. If someone did it, if someone started it, nine times out of ten, they're the ones that started it. Folks, that those are not peacemakers. Those are troublemakers. They're rejecting objective truth. They're rejecting morality. They're rejecting good. And they're following their own heart. They're following their own lust towards an end that is not peaceful. When you see peace, you are seeing the result of someone somewhere being good and drawing things to a resolution instead of just leaving them internally unhealed. That's the other idea about what has become political is this victimized culture where we go through one thing in our life and we define the rest of our life as a victim of that one thing. And we can't do this and we can't do that. We can't get better. We can't come out of ourselves because I'm a victim of and we name the thing. I was telling somebody the other day, I'm a chaplain with the Salt Lake City Police Department. I'm out with the police department 20, about 20 hours a week, not including the fact that I'm on call for them 24-7. And I was telling somebody, how many of these life-altering situations do you think you go through in the course of your life? In other words, how many of these everything just got put on hold type of moments do you think you've experienced where there's the death of a loved one or a incredibly tragic accident or some kind of life altering illness or, or and these are all bad things but they're also good things you know there's a birth of a child or a marriage or some kind of decision within a family that uh, provides for a resolution going forward all those types of things how many of those do you think you have in your life okay if you've got a a busy life you might have, what, four or five, six maybe, of those life-altering events. Someone you loved died. Someone you loved was involved in a, in a terrible, tragic accident and was scarred for life. Maybe you yourself were a victim of some kind of perverted agenda. You might have, what, on, on the heavy side, ten of these types of life-altering situations. I was in the military, so I'm probably on the heavy side. Of, of going through things, okay? Do you know what our officers do on a daily basis? Our officers, the police and first responders in our communities, and I won't speak for all of them because I don't know all of them, but I know the officers here in Salt Lake City, and these officers are responding to the darkest hour for someone, sometimes 5, 6, 7, 10, 12 times a day. And they're doing that day in, day out, back to back, week to week, month to month, year to year, in some instances, decade to decade, dealing with humanity's darkest hours. And they bring peace. That's their job. It's literally in the title. They are a peace officer. Do you know who peace officers, peacemakers, do you know who they're dealing with just by definition of what they do as a job most of the time? If it's 
objective. In other words, it's just some kind of unpersonal happenstance of life. It's an accident. It's an illness. They're dealing with trauma. But most of the time when they're dealing with intentional trauma, they're dealing with troublemakers, not peacemakers. They're dealing with the opposite of who they are. They're dealing with people who operate outside the lines of morality. They're dealing with people who operate outside the lines of objective existence and truth. And they're bringing peace to situations where there was conflict because the troublemaker was there. Now, I know I'm overgeneralizing in some instances, and I'm not trying to say that they're, they're without their own problems. I think they would be the first to say that they are. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Peacemakers, according to Romans chapter 2, 9 through 11, they glory and they honor peace. Every man that worketh good is the things that bring the glory and honor of peace. So when I go against that which is objectively good, when I go against that which the Bible says is morally right, when I go against the Bible, against truth, against purity, and I try to molest those things and, and redefine what is good, the result will always be a lack of peace within yourself first, whether you recognize it or not, and then extending out from you. Nothing that is existing in the opposite will of God, nothing that is existing opposite of God of how God created that thing can be at peace with itself. I don't care what you say. I don't care what nonsensical medical journal you're going to quote to me. If God created you and your body in a certain way, and you are practicing against the laws of nature and nature's God, you are not at peace. I don't care what you say to me. And when you are not at peace, those around you cannot be at peace. And those around you, and this is why we have an unpeaceful environment. We have a contentious divided, separating, antagonistic environment because we've gotten rid of morality. Where are the peacemakers? Where are the ones who choose to speak objective truth? Morality, as God would define morality, not as you and I would. Now understand, one of the biggest things here, one of the biggest separations concerning these talking points is I'm telling you from the Bible what the Bible says and what God says about himself. If you reject the Bible and don't believe in God, then we have zero common ground to even have a conversation on. I understand that. But I'm also assuming, reluctantly, but yes, still assuming, that because you chose to listen to a podcast called On Being Christian— that you have some anticipation or claim, at least, to the title Christian. And if I'm choosing to be a Christian in any other way than God, through his word, told me to be a Christian, then I'm doing it wrong. I was telling somebody today, I was in the Marine Corps, okay? Do you know what being a Marine means? It means a lot of things. I know that's an open-ended question. But for the sake of what I'm trying to tell you, being a Marine means being obedient to the method of the Marine Corps, the method of everything that they do. Marines dress a certain way. They talk a certain way. They act and respond to authority in a certain way. Everybody wants to be a Marine until it's time to do what Marines do. Now you can say that also in the Army. The Army and the Marine Corps have the infantry. And there's a saying within that, everybody, by the way, within those groups, infantry are called grunts, infantry personnel within the Army and the U.S. 
Marine Corps, are called grunts. And grunts look like the real deal, because most of the time they are. And there's a saying within those two branches of service, everybody wants to be a grunt until it's time to do grunt stuff. Everybody wants to look like the poster boy until it's time to do what the poster boy does. Everybody wants to look cool until it's time to bear the responsibility of what looking cool is all about. And everybody wants to claim the title Christian until it's time to bring resolutions by God's grace through Christ living in your heart to situations where you couldn't do. Everybody wants to have the benefits of Christianity without any of the responsibilities. Everybody wants to be happy without accepting what makes them happy. Peacemakers are the ones who bring these things to a resolution. How? They speak the truth. They speak the truth exclusively. That's what a peacemaker is. Glory, honor, and peace. What are these results of? Every man that worketh good. How do I work good? I have to have God work good in me because I can't do it without him. If you stay in Romans, jump over to chapter 14. Romans 14 and verse 19, the Bible says here, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. It says, follow after the things which make for peace. Edify another. One may edify another. In other words, folks, peace is a result of the things that you pursue. It doesn't just come naturally. It's a product of effort. Do you know what's natural to mankind? Natural, what's natural to mankind is destruction. What's natural to mankind is degradation and war. What's natural to mankind is depraved and evil. We are fallen men and women. We are fallen creatures in a fallen world, behaving and acting and thinking and speaking in ways that God cannot accept. It's because of Jesus Christ that I have the power to be transformed from death into life. I don't do it. I don't work for it. I accept it by faith and repentance to God, and through the blood of Jesus Christ, he forgives me. He promises me he will if I, with my mouth, make confession and with my heart believe. Romans chapter 10, the Bible says, I will save you. This is salvation. So salvation is acceptance of God, acceptance of Jesus Christ by the mercy of God. This is the first step in being able to be a peacemaker. This is the first step in being able to edify one another. This is the first step in making peace where others have failed, to resolve situations where others intentionally leave them uncovered and wounded going forward. Peacemaker, a peacemaker, one who brings problems to a resolution that glorifies God. If you're one of these folks out here, and you bring peace to situations, praise the Lord. He's using you, and you're allowing yourself to be used by Him through your Bible reading, through your exposure to the preaching of the Word of God in a sound doctrinal church with a good pastor. These are all things that it takes to grow. If you're one of these folks out here, and it doesn't seem to matter exactly how it happens, it's just that you are always, always surrounded by drama. 
If there's going to be a fight, you're going to be one of the guys that are in it. You're going to be one of the girls that are in it. If there's words being said, things being upset, you're in the middle of it. There's a group here in Salt Lake City that know very well exactly who they are. They've just literally been an issue for one group of people to the next group of people to the next group of people until they finally burned every bridge with every group of people in this city. And now, all self-righteous-like, they're together, alone, defining themselves as martyrs for the cause of Christ, when in reality, they're just difficult, ignorant people that nobody can work with. Because they're troublemakers. Because they push agenda, not doctrine. That's what we have the command from the Word of God to be the opposite of. We're commanded to push the truth, to stand on the truth, to preach the truth, to listen to the truth, to accept the truth. This is what brings peace. When I put my own personal agendas in it, in other words, if you've ever heard yourself say, listen, I know what the, I know that's what the Bible says, but this is the way we do it, you're off on a wrong start. That's called, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, the, the idea of what's called yeah, but theology. In other words, the Bible says this is what you're supposed to do, and you go, yeah, but, and we add some kind of justification in there as to why we're not supposed to do it or why we don't have to do it. Simple things. Bible says tithe. Yeah, but my situation's different. Okay. As if God was too ignorant to know that your situation would be the one in 6,000 years of human history that his word doesn't apply to. The Bible has qualifications for what a man of God is and what he can and cannot have participated in in his life. And I'm so tired of, quote-unquote, preachers, men of God, saying, yeah, but I'm different. It applies to me differently. No, it doesn't. The Bible is is an applicable tool across all races and lines and religions of people. God, the Bible says God's no respecter of persons. In other words, he's not going to hold one, quote-unquote, religious organization above another. He's going to demand of men total, e- totally equally that they listen to what the Bible says and obey. Peacemakers bring peace to situations where men have brought conflict. They do it by standing on the truth and the truth alone. Follow, as it says, Romans chapter 14, verse 19, follow after the things which make for peace. You have to pursue it. You have to follow it. That doesn't mean compromise, but it, it does mean stand on the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 13 says this. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse uh, 33, excuse me, Bible says here, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So if I'm going into a situation and there's confusion in that situation, whether it's within people in that situation or whether it's within me, myself, as I'm about to enter that situation, I 100% know without a shadow of a doubt in my mind that if there's confusion, then God's not there. Because God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of peace. Where the Bible is applied, where the doctrine of the Word of God is honored and listened and preached and and adhered to and sought after, there will be peace. No questions about it. It is what it is. It's absolutely, unnegotiably true. You say, well, 
you know, churches have problems. I get that. But that doesn't mean the Bible's not true. If there's problems, somewhere along the line, you're going to find someone who doesn't want to do what the Bible says, period. Because if I put the doctrine of the Word of God in front of my own desires, and I bring doctrine, doctrinal truth, the Word of God, the will of God, if I bring that to situations in my own self first, and then in my relationship with my wife, or if you're a wife, in your relationship with your husband, and then in my relationship with my children, or if you're a child, a relationship with your parents, and so on and so forth, I expand my circles of influence out according to how God would have me speak the truth. As soon as I get to a situation where I could be benefited by changing that truth just a little bit, I'm not changing it, I'm lying. And on a long enough timeline, that lie will come back full circle and bite. And the result will be a lack of peace. Every time it happens without question, but yet somehow in this world, we as humans are still ignorant enough to think that our lies are the ones that are going to last. Our falsehoods are the ones that are going to stand the test of time. No falsehood ever has, so why would ours? We are not the author, creator of peace. God is. Thus, peace is not a subjective term that we ourselves get to define, but rather an objective term that has already been defined by God, not for us to debate over, but for us to accept. Peace belongs to God. If I'm a peacemaker, it's because I belong to God and I'm bringing God's will to situations. Now, here's what I'll say about that. Sometimes when you're dealing with people who don't want to do what God says and you bring God's will to the table, and when I say that, it's not your subjective opinion of what God's will is. It's you bringing the Bible to the table. And they throw a fit. You know what they're going to tell you? And I've had this told to me. We had no conflict until you got here. Yeah, you're exactly right. Because you had no one standing for the truth until I got here. <laughs> you see how this, the devil's so clever. He can use things that go either way. Here's the truth. The truth is that God is the author of peace, not the author of confusion. The truth is that those who are peacemakers are peacemakers because God has purified their heart. And from a purified heart, there's a whole list of characteristics and notions and truths that God can use to bring peace to situations through you. If I've never let God purify my heart, if I've never desired to be one who brings resolution to situations, I've just stoked the fire to see what happens, that I'm not a peacemaker, I'm a troublemaker, and that the Lord will deal with. I don't need to, I don't need to get even a little bit worked up about it. I'm human, so I will. I don't need to, though, because the Lord will deal with it. On a long enough timeline, the Lord will cut you down. It's just life. It's fact. It's reality. But you and I can be peacemakers. We can bring peaceful resolutions to situations that have only known conflict. We're not ever going to do it from our own agenda. We're not ever going to do it from our own mindset. We're only ever going to do it from the power of God, through the Word of God, by God's will, because of God's grace in our life. It's all for Him. I have one other verse. I didn't write this down, but I just want to share this with you. I believe it's John chapter 1, 
John chapter 1, it kind of gives us a picture of who all this is for. The first three verses is what I want to read to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 says, the same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Folks, it's all for him. It's all by him, for him, through him, to him. It's all him. So if we're going to be peacemakers, we're going to be the ones who bring the name and cause and testimony and and and, and truths and justice of, of Christ to the table. Not because we bring our own agenda, but because we're servants of the Lord. That's what it takes to be a peacemaker. The world's full of troublemakers. And I know it's personal. Sometimes they make it personal. I was with the police officers just this week, and we were dealing with a guy that was doing his dead-level best and working, in some instance, to make our interaction personal, saying incredibly inappropriate things and making it very personal, making it very um, agenda-driven. But thank the Lord, and the officer that was with me, he was no rookie. He understood his role. He brought a resolution to a situation that didn't have one before he got there. That's a peacemaker. Father, thank you for so the Bible. Thank you for your word. As we go our separate ways, I pray that you'd go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you. I'll see you next time.